This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by ActorRated.com, the Internet's only place to find ratings and reviews for headshot photographers, acting classes, and more. See what other actors are talking about and recommending. To learn more, visit ActorRated.com. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Elgott. And on this podcast, we interview writers, directors, actors, agents, managers, producers, anybody involved in the entertainment industry, and bring those interviews to you. And we are just two dudes with a podcast. We don't pretend to have all the answers. So if you hear something on this podcast that you disagree with or want to add your two cents to, please get in touch with us. There's a million ways to do it by email, phone, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Just go to our website to uh, get started, InsideActingPodcast.com. And on this episode, we have a really solid interview with uh, a screenwriter, now screenwriter, uh, Stephen Ulrich. Um, he's got some just great little gems of, of just how to live your life as an artist, I think, and reminds us all that, it, that it's hard work, you know, which uh, is, is always, always a good reminder for, for any artist. So uh, stay tuned for that. So, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Inside Acting Podcast, uh, episode 71. We are coming back to you now via audio. Auditorially. Only. Um, there's a whole story behind that, but um, I don't know. Is it worth going into? Yeah, think? definitely, yeah. man. We owe okay. it to our listeners. All right. So, um, well, long story short, we, we, we did the video thing because we kind of had to... Um, wasn't there, there were some kind of drawbacks with video and we kind of surveyed our listeners and talked to a bunch of people and it seems like most people like to be able to see who's talking but um the way that they consume the content is usually kind of while they're multitasking they're cooking they're cleaning they're working out they're in their car they're doing laundry whatever so uh they weren't able to really check in visually with us while they're doing those things plus we weren't really able to go into as much depth as we wanted to because we had to stop the camera because the camera would overheat and it was kind of... Uh, the size of the episodes meant that they had to be shorter. Yeah. I mean, if we were looking at like four or 500 <coughs> megabyte files per episode. So it, it kind of worked out uh, to be better, I think, audio. But I'm glad that we did do video because now we know that we can kind of save that for the special occasions uh, when we when we have something kind of visually exciting to share. But we have the audio as kind of the main form uh, for the kind of in-depth conversations and and uh, consumability, if you will, hmm. uh, in between those. Uh, so God, so much to catch up on, especially in your world. <clears throat> what is new, dude? I mean, g- give uh, me like the, can you, can you condense everything I you've experienced know. in the past, like three, four weeks? I feel like anyway? I have been, I feel like I ran like 17 marathons and that's not even an exaggeration. Like I'm so wiped out. You guys can probably hear it in my voice. I mean, where do I start? I, I got, uh, another, um, voiceover gig. With Apple, you guys can... It, it went live now, so I can talk about it. It's up on the website. It's the new Mountain Lion video. Uh, a few auditions, you know, here and there. Um, I'm going to talk about this in my pick of the week uh, later on in the episode, but I went to this amazing, amazing training that I, I don't think I'll ever be able to describe uh, 
what it did for me or to me or whatever you want to, you want to call it. You've had an epic past couple days. <laughs> and I, I actually, if you, if you're willing, I would love to chat a little bit about all of that. Um, but especially the training just for, for people who aren't familiar with it. Cause I know, you know, inside acting favorite Ben Whitehair has kind of brought both of that into both of our worlds and you went and did it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. This is basically my pick of the week because it, it's, well, here, I'll start out with what it's called. It's called MITT, which stands for mastery and transformational training. Um, you can't find a lot about it online, uh, other than, you know, a lot of like forum posts and blogs and, or, you know, just people kind of commenting on it. And that's kind of, I think it's detrimental to the experience, whether they're saying good things or bad things about it, because it really is all about you and your experience. So trying to find out how other people experienced it is kind of, uh, it's a moot point because the whole thing is, is really about you and how you operate in the world. And I think the best, um, thing that I could say to our listeners in particular, it is that it is literally the best acting class you will ever take. And it's not an acting class. So you learn so much about yourself, about the way in which you have been operating in the world. Um, whether it's, you know, telling yourself that you, you know, you don't have enough time, you don't have enough money, you don't, you know, you don't, uh, have enough knowledge, whatever it is that's keeping you, basically keeping you from, from your dreams. If you feel like you, if you feel like you're living your dream right now, then, you know, I, you don't need to go to the training unless that's your ego talking or something like that. But if you feel like there are things that you want or need to accomplish and the only thing standing in your way is you, it's like the best thing ever. I can't even begin to describe how different a person I am now two weeks later after going through. They have three levels of training. There's basic, advanced, and then this um, level called uh, legacy program or leadership program. The whole thing is done by word of mouth. <clears throat> I'm not being paid to advertise this. This, you know, there's no they don't do advertisements actually. They don't do radio ads or commercials or or anything. It, this training is really just about tearing down those walls and getting back to who you are, your essence, who you were as a as a little boy or a little girl and getting back to the, all of the things that make you the amazing human being that you are when you get back to that place, the next thing that happens is you believe that anything is possible. Mm. You can literally accomplish anything because first of all, you don't have that stuff in your way. And second of all, if you just set your intention on something, this is, this is one of the big things that I learned. If you set your intention on something like you say, I want to do that thing, or I want to have that thing, or I want something you say, okay, I'm going to accomplish X by this date. What's crazy is the how that's going to happen becomes the easy part. People make the how so difficult, but really the how is the easy part because the how can't happen unless you believe that the results are possible. So if you like say, this is what happened to me. I needed to because, you know, I'm fun employed 
as we talked about in the, in the last episode, having come back from Northern California. So I need to generate a certain amount of money in X amount of days because uh, in order to pay my bills and all that stuff, right? So I said, okay, I'm going to create this much money in 10 days. I said, okay, well, what would that look like? Well, let's break it down. Let's divide that total amount by 10. Okay, now I only need to make this much per day. Great, how can I do that? And then you start getting really creative because you believe that it's going to happen. So I've sold things that I've been meaning to sell on Craigslist, but have just been you know procrastinating on. Um, the uh, voiceover gig with Apple manifested. Um, the and you know I do private computer consultations, and I started getting on the phone and, and getting on email and finding out, going through every client I've ever had and saying like, do you need? anything this week and just reminding them of my existence and it got so many people lined up that I almost had a client a day for like five or six days straight. And it, that even included somebody, this is my favorite part that included somebody who had been putting me off for a really long time. Oh yeah, I'm busy. We'll do it next week. Oh yeah, I'm busy. I really need you to come over, but I have this audition or I really need you to come over, but I'm, I'm in class or whatever it was. Right. So I emailed that person. And I said, I'm available this day and this day. When when am I coming over? Which of those two days? And me taking that type of initiative got them to stop procrastinating. Hmm. And it's like I never realized I had that kind of power. Mm-hmm. So it's it's indispensable for actors because you show up very present, which of course is what acting is all about. You show up believing in the biggest possibilities and... As long as you believe it's possible, you won't feel like you're just pushing a big rock up a hill thinking that it's never going to happen. You will, as Steve says later on in in his interview, enjoy the process. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the doing of it, you know, because you know where it's going. The coolest thing about the training, too, is that it's not lecture-based. So someone doesn't stand up in front of, you know, a classroom and just talk at you. It's all experiential. And because of that, you really live it. You really live it and it gives you an opportunity to put it into your body and take it outside of the classroom with you. And I, I went on to the third, the, the third level because uh, the cool thing about the third level is that you get 100 days of life coaching along with uh, some other seminars and, and things like that. So now I'm going to have somebody who I talk to on a near daily basis uh, a group of people that I talk to on a weekly basis um, who are helping me, you know, build my vision for my life and then putting in uh, actionable, you know, plans to make that happen. Hmm. So like day to day, what's like, what are you doing today to make your vision for your family, your relationships, your money, your career all happen? Right. You know, what are you, what are you going to do today? And, um, I've never, I've never been more motivated in my entire life. I've never been more happy in my entire life. Cause the other thing you get to do is like, like in bringing down those walls, the other thing you get to do is let go of a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. forgive a lot of people and just kind of <clears throat> own your power again. Cause you know, if you are, if you can't forgive somebody or you are holding a grudge against somebody, all it means is that they have power over you. So if you can forgive them and just let that go, you have your power back. 
Mm-hmm. So I've never felt more present, more powerful, more possible um, than I do right now. It's it's uh, it's an incredible feeling and one that I would wish upon anyone. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that's my uh, that's that my spiel. A, that's that, my pick of the week. That is a so. glowing testimonial. <laughs> that's that's really incredible. Yeah. So uh, I know that they 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 do have a website, but it's it's a little bit lackluster. Um, yeah. So so like really, I said they don't they. It's all done through word of mouth. Mm-hmm. That's why they don't put they don't put resources into into ads or or you know websites or or anything like that. Because the thing is, is it would be, I think it would be detrimental to someone's experience mm-hmm. if they were like, "This is what's going to happen." Because right. it's different for everybody. First of all, and second of all, the training is all about you as an individual. So how would it be useful? to be advertised to about your, about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I guess that's what all advertising advertising is, but <clears throat> that's uh, tricking you into thinking, you know, who you are, you know, what you want, mm-hmm. you know? So for people who maybe have some more questions or maybe read things on the internet that aren't so flattering about this, can they contact you and, Absolutely. and, and find yeah. out more? Cause I know yeah. it's going to be a little cost prohibitive off the bat for some people. Cause it's not cheap. Yeah. Well, the money conversation happens uh, for a lot of people. And and here's the thing I'll say about that. You have no idea how powerful you are when it comes to creating money. I wish I had gone to this training before our Thrival Jobs episode because it would have been a completely different episode. Hmm. You have no idea. If you want, you know, however much money it is, if you want a million dollars, you can make a million dollars. Just say you're going to do it. Set your intention. And then say, by what date? Is this going to happen and believe that it's possible? Then between now and that date, you are going to do actionable things every single day to make that happen. And it will happen. I guarantee you because you will get super creative. You will figure out ways to raise money. You will figure out ways to uh, generate income uh, in you know multiple string streams of income. You will figure it out. Um, as long as you believe it's possible, you, that's, that's the, that's the hard part. The hard part is saying you're going to do it because mm-hmm. most people don't believe that that it's possible. Mm-hmm. That's the hard part. The easy part's making it happen. Yeah. <clears throat> so the money conversation, uh, you know, I'm a living testament to that because I, I did not, that those 10 days I was talking about where I needed to make X amount of money. Those were the 10 days between the basic and advanced course. I did not have enough money to go to the advanced course. I didn't. And I knew it. But at the end of basic, I, I, I said, you know what, I'm going to commit to, to doing this. And I actually, it was kind of a lackluster commitment because I committed to one that was like six weeks away. I said, what would happen? What would it look like if I, if I change that and I, and I actually committed to this one that's a week and a half from now. And I said, well, I'd have to, I'd have to make, you know, X amount of money in order to cover my bills for the month and be able to go. And that's what I was talking about. That's what those 10 days were. And I broke it down and I made it happen. And I just felt so powerful with money, which is a thing that I felt so powerless against. Mm-hmm. You know, I was playing victim to money. Yeah. I was playing victim to my financial circumstances. And um, that ended. Very cool. So, yeah, if you guys have questions, like seriously, I'll give you my phone number. I don't even care because um, for me... You know, it's not the same experience for everybody, but for me, it was one of the most powerful experiences in my life. So if you have questions or you, or, you know, you want to know more, um, send an email 
to the podcast and I will reply with my phone number and email so that you can, so that you and I can, can rap about it. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I took a, a, a seminar that was a little bit similar, I think, to what you did. It was through a company called Peak Potentials. And, um, yeah, ben, now Ben is doing that right now, I think. Peak Potentials? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the same kind of thing. I mean, I did a lot of, I did a lot of research on, on what these courses are and how they're formulated and what the psychology is behind them and all that. And there's all sorts of Wikipedia articles and stuff about, mm-hmm. you know, where they were born and, Things like that. So they're, they're more or less the same thing. Um, but the peak potentials course I took was amazing. One of the things that really stuck out to me was at the very beginning of the course, it was a three or four day thing. The guy said, the three most dangerous words in the English language are, I know that. Huh. He says, because as soon as you say, I know that, you shut yourself down to learning. And he's like, if you find yourself saying that, you have to ask yourself, am I applying it in my life? You know, and if you're not, then guess what? You don't know it. You don't know it because you're not using yeah. it. So, um, that's brilliant. I thought that was really amazing. I so, know that. so, you know, people who may have objections to this kind of thing, you know, do your homework, see if it's right for you. Um, but if you are really just sitting there going, I know that stuff, do you, you know, it's, yeah. it's something to ask yourself. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. They, and they talk about that too, you know, just like the, 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 the ego that we walk around with. Um, you know, just like, oh yeah, you know, I don't, I don't need this or I don't need to work on myself or I don't need to know myself or whatever it is, you know? So, um, I think for an actor, for an artist, uh, for anybody really, you know, it's, um, it's huge. Cool. It's huge. It makes you, it basically makes you get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. You have to get out of your own way and believe that anything is possible. So I'm really, I mean, I'm excited for, Awesome. I'm excited for the podcast. I'm excited for our production company. I'm excited for my own personal acting career. Um, and I'm excited for, you know, whatever, you know, joy I can spread throughout the world, you know, for your life, <laughs> for my life, for my life. That's so, huge. uh, here's, here's homework for our listeners. Actually, this is, this is, this is fun homework. I love it. Um, so, um, I just want you to think for a moment, uh, if there are any dreams, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, I want to win an Oscar. It could be anything. It could be, you know, reconnecting with your family. It could be, you know, reaching out to a, a cousin, a long lost cousin. It could be whatever it is you you want it to be. If, are there any dreams that you feel like you gave up on? And once you've answered that question for yourself, what stopped you? And once you've answered that question for yourself, what's one actionable thing you can do today, tomorrow to make it happen. Cause all it takes is that first step. Hmm. What would you say to somebody who has doubts about it? Like somebody who maybe read something about it being, I'm not going to lie. I Googled it. And the first thing that came up when I typed in MITT or mastery and transformational training, you know how Google auto completes your, yeah, your yeah, search yeah. Mm-hmm. was cult. <laughs> MITT cult. And yeah. I was like, okay. So I looked at it and I found a bunch of blog posts and people were not really speaking very positively of it. Now that can be said about anything. I mean, you could say that about churches. You could say that about yeah. this podcast. You know I mean? People are going to, haters are going to hate, you know, basically. Haters going to hate. Haters going to hate. But, but how would you, what would you say to somebody who's like, well, I don't know, man, they brainwash you and there's group think tactics and there's all this, you know, there, like- there is actually, and, and I'll be, I'll be straight up about that. There were a couple of times in the training where I was like, <clears throat> wow, this is really manipulative because mm-hmm. the thing is, is like, I'm, I consider myself a pretty intelligent person. So 
it was hard for me not to go real meta with it, not to like take a step back and go like, wow, this is really manipulative. And there were a couple of times where I had that feeling. I totally did. Mm-hmm. But one of the things they have you say, or one of the things they say to you a lot in, in the process is trust the process. And the reason that they say that, I believe that the reason that they say that is not just to quote unquote, it's not about like them brainwashing you so that you, you know, continue on to the next step or, or so that you don't argue with them or whatever. It's not what it's about. For me, what it was about is if you're not trusting the process, you're not in the process. You're being meta about it. So you're not getting anything out of it. So when I went, I went to play, I went to play hard and, and, and make sure that I got the maximum value out of me being there. Right. And if you feel like you go and you give it a hundred percent and you're not sort of being meta about it and not thinking like, wow, this is really manipulative. I don't want to be here. This sucks, blah, 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 blah. <clears throat> you're not going to get anything about it. Get anything out of it. If you go to play a hundred percent and you still don't get anything about out of it, then okay, then that's fine. Then maybe the training isn't for you. That's cool. But it's unfair to yourself and unfair to the process to go and like spend the whole time, you know, judging it. And then you leave and your ego is perfectly intact. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's so that's what I would say. If you go and you give it a hundred percent, like if you, if you talk to me, if you call me and you want to go to this thing and, and I say to you, you know, I think you should go and then you go and you give it 157% all the time, all five days. And then you get to the end and you go, AJ, I didn't really like get anything out of it. I'll go. Okay, cool. I'm not, it's not a cult. It's not a cult. It's just about living your life in the maximum, in its maximum mm-hmm. possibility. That's what it's about. So if you say, ah, I didn't really get anything about out of it. Great. Totally cool. You know, that, that's, that's fine. As long as you gave it a hundred percent, but if you go in and you're being all meta about it, cause like, like I said, as somebody who I, I like I said, I consider myself a, a intelligent person. There were a couple of times where I was like, fuck, this is really manipulative and blah, blah, blah. But that was also, a, that was also feedback for me. You know, I was like, okay, I'm just let, let myself go, get back into this. And it was those times where I got to the end of that process where at the beginning I was saying, this is really manipulative. I got to the end of that and I went, wow, I just had one of the biggest breakthroughs of my life hmm. by, by saying like, you know what? Just go with it. I just go with it. I'm going to get out of this, you know, or even not. There was, there was one process in the advanced course where I was so like upset at how manipulative it was. And at one point it just like, it didn't, it completely crumbled where I wasn't thinking about that at all. And all I kept thinking about was something that I ended up breaking through mm-hmm. and I was in, I was in tears by the end of it. I was in shambles because of this, you know, this thing that I had, that I had broken through in my life. Wow. Wow. So, you know, <clears throat> it, everyone is going to have, you're right. You can say b- good or bad things about, about anything. I think, I think one of the things that happens is people get, people get afraid. It's the Mexican, it's, it's the Mexican crab analogy. You know about this? Nothing. Crab, like you pull, you crab tries to climb out of the bucket exactly. and you able to pull it back in. Exactly. This yeah. is not, yeah, nothing, nothing to do with Mexicans. It's just, a, 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 you know, something that occurs in nature, but there are these crabs and I think they're, uh, I gotta, I gotta look it up again. Cause I think they're in like holes in the sand or something like that. And if one crab tries to crawl out, the rest of the crabs drag crab. it back down. Yeah. And then eventually I think even the sand caves in and like they all die. Hmm. So 
you know, it's, it's like, to me, it's like that. I think people get scared when, when other people around them believe in themselves and believe in the maximum possibility for themselves and for, and for other humans. And I've, I've heard it said that that's because when people grow and change the ways that we use to manipulate them, stop working. Ooh, that's good. On a, on a, whether that's conscious or not. I think there's a lot of merit to that, you know? There's a lot of merit to that because that's exactly what I was talking about earlier about forgiveness and, and taking your power back. Yeah, yeah. Because if you have your if you have your power, then no one else can have it. Mm-hmm. No one else can you know, people can't manipulate you anymore. And I spent a lot of my life um living it for other people. A lot of it. You know, even up till now, you know, where I just I had a hard time committing to dates because I was like, well, what if this other person needs me or what if this other organization needs me or whatever? I, I, I had such a difficult time controlling how my life was laid out because I was like, well, what if I need to work or what if I book a job or what if this or what if that or what if I'm in control mm. of my life? What if I get to decide where I am every day? every hour what if i get to decide that how powerful is that yeah because then it's almost like you literally can't do anything you don't love because you're so present and so like yes i chose to be here Mm -hmm. i chose this path i chose this life i chose this action i chose this day for myself yeah you know like imagine your perfect day imagine your perfect day what would that be like what would it look like? What would it smell like? What would it feel like? Who's there? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Okay, now why hasn't it happened yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I also, um, I've talked about Wake Up Productive before in this podcast. It's like a, a video series kind of thing. And um, I know we're running out of time here, so we got to get going. But uh, he talks about, in this video series, the guy who, who created it talks about the difference between choosing to do something and deciding to do something. Yeah. Says when, yes. when you decide, you're actually, the, 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 the origin of that word is to actually cut off from possibility. You de-side. Side uh-huh. meaning you kill off. Yeah. And de means, you know, kind of Anti. disconnecting from yeah. it. Uh, but when you choose something... That's implying that you have several options available to you and you're going to consciously choose the best one rather than saying this one and nothing else or, you know, like I need to kill off these other things so I can only do this. It's just, it's a subtle thing, but I think it's really powerful to just make that subtle tweak in your language and say, I choose to create this or I choose to do this or I've chosen this rather than I decided that this is best, you know, or I decided that I'll do this now. It's like, it's, it's subtle, but man, is it, it's huge. It's huge things because you know what the alternative is? You know what people normally say? I have to. Hmm. Yeah. I have to get up in the morning. I have to wash the di- I have to wash the dishes. I have to take a shower. I have to go to work. I have to do this. I have I have an audition. Uh-huh. I have to go to this audition. Yeah. I have to go to this workshop. I have to go to this casting director <sighs> workshop. I have to go to this meeting. How about I choose to? I get to. It's a gift to. I it is I I am I I literally am blessed to to wake up in the morning. Because there's someone else who didn't. I'm blessed to have the opportunity to live in Los Angeles, to live in this beautiful weather, uh, and to and to have the opportunity to go to an audition and act for somebody. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's like what you said about rejection. Rejection doesn't exist. 
Because if I go to an audition, I get to act. Mm-hmm. That's not rejection. Even if they say no to you and uh, to me and yes to somebody else. Rejection is you don't get to act anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like you and uh, I think it was Bonnie Gillespie that said that. Yeah. You, know? you, you didn't have the part before you went in the room. <laughs> you don't have it after. Nothing right. changed. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So God. rejection doesn't exist. This is great. We could go on for hours about this. Oh, yeah. I um, could. <laughs> <laughs> but we should probably uh, roll into our interview with Steve Ulrich. Um Let's just let the interview speak for itself. Yeah. Enjoy this, guys. We'll see you on the other side. Hey guys, welcome back. We are sitting here with Steve Ulrich, who's got a really kind of interesting story uh, from his journey uh, from pre-entertainment industry to working screenwriter in the entertainment industry. So we're really excited to have him here to uh, chat with him about that. Thanks for being here, Steve. Hey guys, glad to be here. Cool. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right in because I have been dying to ask this question. Um, and uh, it's kind of funny because Trevor and I are, are friends with... Uh, both of uh, Steve's sons and I've asked them this question before and they're like, you know what? Why don't you just ask my dad? So <laughs> now I get to ask it. So Steve, you're, you're, you're a visual artist, correct? Yes. You wrote a book on painting even what made you decide? This is the question. Here it comes. What made you decide one day to just go, you know what? I'm going to write a screenplay. I'm just going to write a screenplay. I'm going to, I'm going to hold off on, on, on this, uh, painting. I'm going to hold off on the book writing. I'm going to hold off on it. You know, all the other stuff I got going on in my life and I'm going to write a screenplay. Well, it didn't just happen in one day. Um, obviously, but, um, as most things don't truly, um, I made my living as a visual artist for about 25 years. And, um, over the course of that time, um, the business really kind of, ate away at my enjoyment of it. I mean, I love the process. I love the craft of it. I love just slopping paint around on a canvas. And once I'm in front of the canvas, it's great fun. I love it. But everything else, just kind of, as soon as you step away from that and put on your business person's hat, it all just, you know, eventually just ate away at that whole kind of enjoyment to the point where I really didn't like it anymore. So the, the business aspect ate away at the art aspect. Yes, definitely. Hmm. I mean, I think that can happen in any field. I mean, it certainly can happen in this field too. And in, in the motion picture business. Yeah. I was going to say as an actor, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, what, you know, one thing that, um, becomes clear pretty early on in the art world is that nobody knows anything and I'm sure you know the William Goldman quote about the entertainment business that nobody knows anything. And it's, it's equally true in the art world. Um, you deal with gallery owners that really don't know anything. They, they don't know what they're looking at. Um, and after a while, that whole, you know, dealing with them, dealing with, um, you know, clients who want paintings to match the drapes and, yeah, it's just it's part of the reality of the business, and um, it just really wears on you after a while to the point where you just... I mean, I got to the point where I didn't even want to do it. And I actually had a dream one night that 
was very interesting and full of these crazy symbols, keys, and it was my, you know, I was an eight-year-old kid pulling a red wagon with a silver key in it, and my wife Carrie, who's kind of a whiz at analyzing dreams, kind of took a shot at telling me what it meant. I kind of said, I had this weird dream, and um, was I was supposed to write something, basically, because in the dream I was presented with a uh, the key in the dream opened up a box, a little wooden box, and in the box was a folded-up piece of paper. So I got the piece of paper, and I thought, okay, here's the answer. I open it up, and it's blank. So she said, you got to write on the paper. You know, that's that's where the mystery is going to be solved. That it's, is so, so cool. <laughs> is I, have, I have goosebumps all over right now. <laughs> so I, I actually, it didn't occur to me to write movies. Um, and I started writing some short stories. I wrote about a dozen short stories over the course of about a year. And I don't know if I, I don't remember if I was talking about writing movies or, I, I mean, I've loved movies ever since I was a kid. Um, but Carrie, uh, my wife, bought me um, Final Draft one year for Christmas. And I I kind of, you know, I played around with it and figured out, you know, how to use it, the hotkeys and all that, and how to format a screenplay. I didn't do a lot with it right away. And then just gradually, it was always right there, and I, I went to it more and more often, and I started kind of uh, converting short stories into screenplay form and after maybe two, three years, I, um, I wrote my first screenplay, which was a terrible kind of the obligatory coming-of-age story, you know, based on my crazy college adventures. And, you know, everybody's, every writer's got one of those in them, and they're just the kind of thing you write, and then if you're smart, you shove it in the drawer and never look at it again. Um, and that was really the beginning of it. I kind of got hooked on it once I... I got into the flow of like writing a dialogue and got into a character's head and was able to, you know, become that person for a for a short time. Um, I was just kind of hooked on it, and then I got really interested in telling stories and figuring out stories. And ultimately, the the process of writing is a lot like the process of painting. They're both about problem solving. You know, with with painting, you put one uh, one brush stroke next to another brush stroke. And they're either right or wrong. You know, the second one is either right in in conjunction with the first one. It either agrees with it or it doesn't. And you make an adjustment based on that. You know, you write a line of dialogue, then you add another line, and it, it kind of either works or it doesn't. You know, and you either move on or you adjust it, and then you move on. So it's really it's it's really very similar in a way. Have you ever seen the movie Exit Through the Gift Shop? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really fascinating, fascinating movie. Yeah. It's like about what is art, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there are parallels between you know that kind of take on things and screenwriting. Like I know there's a structure for screenwriting. You've got beats that you want to be hitting. You've got a, all those kind of things. But how much wiggle room is there for you uh, in that? How, how 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 much can you kind of color outside the lines? Well, I, I think you know. Again, if I can go back to painting a little bit, one thing that my 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 favorite art teacher told us um, early on was that the way you learn to paint is you is, is to paint. In that process, you study great paintings. You read everything you can on it. You learn as much as you can. You learn all the rules, and then when you sit down in front of the canvas or you know whatever your medium is, you forget all the rules and you just do it. 
I'm sure acting is the same way. You know, you just have to forget it all. I'm nodding my head because I had an acting teacher in college that said the same exact thing. She called it the soup. She said, Mm, you you get all these tools as an actor and you put them all in the soup and you mix it all up. And then when when you're actually doing the craft, you forget all about it. Right. I mean, when you think about it, like if you're you're doing a, a sport or something, if you have to think about every movement, you're just going to fall on your face. You know, it has to become second nature. You, you can't think about the steps consciously. You just have to be able to access your subconscious and lose yourself in it and just kind of go with it, whether it's, you know, writing or painting or anything. So I, I kind of have the same um, approach to writing. You know, I, I read a bunch of books and I have to read hundreds, if not thousands of screenplays. You learn structure, you know, you know about how long an act is supposed to be, where the act breaks come, where the major beats belong. Then you forget it. And if you're telling your story correctly, those things kind of happen at the right place in the right time intuitively. If they don't, you can, you know, there's usually a sense that it's not working, that it's dragging or things happen too fast or whatever. But there's usually an indication that it's not working if the structure is wrong. Mm -hmm. But screenplays really are all about structure. I mean, you have a very finite amount of time to tell your story. I haven't been doing it that long, maybe 10 years. And when I started, it was 120 pages. If you turn in a 120-page script now, everybody cringes. It's got to be, you know, everybody's looking for 100 pages now, if not less, especially in the in the thriller genre, which is a, a lot of what I do. Maybe I'm mistaken, but you sold either that first script or 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 a very early one. And then it, it was it was made. It was produced as well. It was my first script, but it was the first one was shot in two thousand seven, uh, the Canyon. If you discount a couple early ones that got shoved in the drawer and never have seen the light of day, um, I think it was about my third script. Maybe it actually it happened pretty quickly. It was based on an idea that my manager threw out to me about a, a honeymooning couple who go down in the Grand Canyon with a guide, and their guide is killed, and they get lost, and mayhem ensues. Um, got a, a director attached about maybe a week after I turned the script in, and he was all set to do it, and then his agent convinced him that he needed to do a bigger movie. So he left the project, and then we started hunting again and found another director and the money within about another six months which is pretty fast and shot it about three months after that in hollywood terms it happened pretty fast i'm sure there's people listening to this who would love to hear the details of the story like you know the representation how you raised the money um how you got the script out there and how you were involved in the uh, in the producing or production of the of the sh- of the film itself the uh, the first part of that equation is the representation and i was um Living out on um, on the East Coast at the time, when I when I got my manager, um, this was back in two thousand five, I think. I did a script that I really liked and um, entered it in a bunch of contests, including the Nickel. You guys know the Nickel contest? I haven't heard of it. No, it's um, an offshoot of the um, the Academy of Arts and Sciences, the people that put on the Oscars, and it's it's considered the kind of like the granddaddy of screenwriting contests. And I think I I hit the semifinals with that, which was pretty good out of the gate. And I got a bunch of um, requests to read the, the screenplay. That's that's why writers enter contests is, is to get reads, you know, because it's impossible to get read. You know, I think they say there's upwards of 100,000 screenplays a year now registered. 
you know, to find your way through that you know, sea of scripts is just really difficult. So you need something that can distinguish your, your work and, and let somebody know that, okay, there's a chance this might be good. I didn't get any, uh, offers of representation or nobody was really interested in producing it. It was a small kind of a dark drama. So I, I actually got some notes on it from a script consultant. She suggested that it needed more edge to it. It was a little bit soft, kind of a straight drama. So I, I incorporated a kind of a, a mystery, a murder mystery into it that had been kind of you know milling around in my head. It was actually a different story entirely. And I thought, well, what would happen if these two collided? So I put that in there, and then I did another round of querying, and I got a, a couple of offers, and I signed with uh, Zero Gravity based in Santa Monica. They have a really interesting development process. They've got a story guy, a story development guy who's who's very good. And uh, what we do is um, I'll give him a draft of a script and I'll get notes from him. They're pretty copious. Um, then I'll address those as I see fit. You know, I have the freedom to do whatever I want. I can incorporate a note or or not, depending on whether I think it's a good idea. And then I'll hand in another draft and we'll kind of go back and forth until we think we've got it about as good as it can get. And then... We put together a usually a list of directors first. It usually goes out to the director first. It's different if you're writing studio films. I don't really write studio films. I write smaller stuff that my my manager, who also produces, is is interested in producing. When I signed with them, they had a pretty good track record. They'd made the Cooler. I don't know if you guys ever yeah, saw the Cooler. Yeah. Really cool little uh, offbeat kind of thriller, dramatic thriller with William H Macy and Maria Bello and. That was kind of the, the kind of movie I wanted to do, you know, those sharp little character-driven thrillers. I had a couple of of kind of uh, genre movies, thrillers, under my belt, and they put them out into the world, tried to get directors attached, and we had no, no trouble really um, getting directors interested in my work. I think right now I have like five or six different scripts with directors attached. We're out to casting, just trying to get the right level of actor for the amount of money we want to make it for, you know? As for the money part of it, I don't really get involved with that. I don't know people with money. I don't know how that part of the business really works. I wish I did. Um, I, but, but your representation's going after it for you, essentially. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's it right there. That, that could very well be the answer. I mean, uh, a bunch of us from the sort of IEP team went to um, the Showbiz Expo this this past year, and we did a whole episode on it. And there were so many conference rooms filled with people listening to someone talk about how to fund your film. So obviously there's a lot of people wanting to do it themselves. It is also interesting for anyone who's interested in this to note that, you know, you went about it in such a way that your representation actually handles that kind of thing for you. Yeah. I mean, um, my hat's off to anybody that can put a movie together on their own. You know, um, I'd rather write. I'd rather spend my time doing that than, than trying to scrounge up money. It's a, it's a whole different process. It's basically a full-time job producing. I think one difficulty with, with people who, who try to finance their own movies is that it's hard to tell who's real and who's not. I mean, a lot of people like to pretend they're producers. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you can have a card printed up that says you're a producer and you're a producer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Whether you know anything about movies, whether you know how to produce or not, whether you can get money, get, you know, whether you have a pipeline to talent or whatever, that remains to be seen. You know? I, yeah, I feel like producer is one of those ambiguous terms that, that anybody can have, because really my understanding of what a producer is these days is someone who either has or has access to money 
or knows how to ask for stuff? Well, that's, that's, there's all different kinds of producers. Um, and there's certainly um, one aspect of it is going after money because until you have money, it's not a real movie. It's just a bunch of people playing around, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are creative producers who kind of keep track of the story and who worry about the talent, getting the right talent attached and that kind of thing. And, and of course, line producers who worry about the, uh, you know, the budget, the budget and the yeah. logistics of the shoot and that kind of thing. But the, but the whole universe of getting money for productions is totally foreign to me. You know, I've just never been involved in that. And you haven't really had a need to, it, it sounds like. No, if you've got a, if you've got a producing team that, that believes in your work and is willing to get it out there and knows people who, who have money and, and have, a, have a track record of, of getting movies produced, then you don't really need to. Just to kind of briefly recap kind of your, your journey here. So it sounds like you, you decided to kind of get into writing, um, you know, for the various reasons that you, that you did. And then you submitted it to this to a festival, and you got a lot of attention at the festival. And then from that, you were able to kind of parlay that into representation by just getting it out there with the kind of blessing of that festival. Is that exactly more or less? exactly? Cool. Yeah. And then and then from there, it was like the right people kind of got to to read it, and you were able to secure representation just by kind of asking. I mean, I'm, I'm curious as to what that that process is like. You get a script out there that's got some some good buzz about it. And then you meet with somebody and they've read it or their assistant has read it or their assistant's assistant has read it. And they say, we like this. We want to represent you to be a professional writer for our team. Is that kind of it? The way it happened for me is that um, they read my script and got uh, kind of a, a low level guy got back to me and said, you know, we read the script in the office and, and we really like it. Typically what happens if you send your script into a management company or an agency is several people will read it. Um, but it has to start, usually starts with a reader, like a paid reader or an assistant or an intern. And if, if they think it's got some merit to it, they'll pass it up the chain. That kind of happened with my script and, uh, it got to the kind of like the head guy and he contacted me directly finally and said, um, you know, just wanted to chime in and let you know I really liked your script and I'm open to uh, getting it sold and made. I that must have been music to your ears. Yeah, I thought, okay, yeah, I'm open to that too. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow, that's. I mean, I wonder how many scripts just get lost in the shuffle because the assistant or the you know the low level guy, as you said, is just not in the mood to read a script that day and just reads the first few pages like, eh, I don't feel like it, and just tosses it in the pass pile. Uh, the message boards are filled with complaints about that, that it, very it, thing. It must be. I mean, it must be even worse than acting because you don't even get a real shot to show them. I mean, you can't guarantee anything's going to get read. At least with acting, you can go into the room and at least get on camera. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, any any aspect of this business is tough, as as you guys know. And uh, there there's just so many hurdles and so many levels that you have to rise up un- until you get a legitimate shot at getting something produced. That you really have to be um, uh, you, you have to be in it for the for the long haul. You can't. I mean, if you go in thinking you're going to win the lottery and sell your script for a million bucks, that's just not going to happen. It happens often enough that people think it's going to happen to them, but it, for all intents and purposes, you're, you probably have a better shot at getting struck by lightning. You know, um, Jeez. Um, and yet you still <laughs> gave it a shot. Well, I like the process. That's what keeps me going. Um, and if you don't, then you really have no business doing it. And it's like, you know, if you guys, 
you got to love acting to do it because there's so much rejection and heartache along the way. Um, and if you don't love the doing of it, then why are you why are you in it? You know, there's way easier ways to make a living. And it's the same thing with writing or painting. you got to love the doing it. You can't rely on somebody else to say, okay, it's time to go write. It's time to go paint. You've got to just be chomping at the bit to get in front of your computer or in front of your easel and do it. Yeah. And if you're not, you have no shot. You just don't. Um, a lot of people think they want to be artists, writers, whatever. And when they realize that it's basically hard work and perseverance and that you've got to put in... I think the average is that you put in about 10 years, write eight or 10 scripts before you get anywhere. So once that sinks in, a lot of people kind of drop off the radar, you know, and decide to do something that makes sense, like, uh, <laughs> you know, work for an insurance company or something. Right, right. If, if you could do it all again right now, if you were starting at, at ground zero again, would you do anything differently? I would have started a lot earlier than I did in movies because um, I didn't even really start writing until I was about 50, which is way, way too old in this business. Um, cause it takes so long to get going, you know, but I, it's interesting. I was, uh, listening to an interview with Shane Black and, um, Terry Rossio and a couple of other big time screenwriters. And they both said, I mean, Shane has got to be, he wrote lethal weapon and he's kind of a rock star and he's got to be, if not 50, he's, pushing it. I don't know how old he's exactly, but he said when he was growing up, it never occurred to him. He loved movies just like I did. It never occurred to him that somebody actually writes them. It's like they are created in this magical place called Hollywood and they just appear on the screen. And it never, I mean, I, it never even occurred to me to write a movie until I was in my forties. I've always loved to write and I've always liked movies. I know I'm a slow mm-hmm. learner, but that's a, little, that's a little ridiculous, you know. Well, it sounds like it was the right uh, the right path. You know, like I I said earlier, to me it's kind of all the same thing: writing, painting, music, acting, whatever. It's all self expression. It's all the pursuit of, of of a craft. There's really no differentiation for me. So it was an easy transition between between um, you know painting and writing. Um, so. I kind of wish I'd uh, I'd started writing a little earlier, but then I had a lot of fun painting too, and that I think I learned a lot about myself painting. I think I, I I waded through a lot of the garbage that you have to wade through as an artist. I took care of a lot of that in in the painting realm, so that when I got to writing, I was done with a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, just all the personal baggage that you have to wade through to get to to some kind of truth about yourself and about your work. So that was a that was an advantage to me. So it might have taken me the same amount of time anyway to get anywhere. You never know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Julia Cameron has a really great uh, <clears throat> saying or quote. I don't know what you would call it, but she says when students say to her, she's like a creative sure. teacher. I'm sure you, sure. yeah, you yeah. Um, Students say to her like, you know, I can't write a novel now, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. Do you know how old I'll, I'll be by the time it's done? And she says, yeah, the same age you'll be if you don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's get started. Exactly. You know? So, that, God, that's great. That's such a good story um, about how you came into, into, into this world. Well, I'm, I'm certainly proof that, that although age is a barrier, it's not a deal breaker, that you don't have to go to film school. You have to be passionate about it. You have to have a story to tell, obviously, or stories. And I think that's one thing that... Um, starting a little later worked as an advantage for me is that I had stuff to write about. Yeah. 
I mean, I had life experience. I had, pull from. you know, 20 years of crappy jobs that I did and all sorts of crazy people that I'd met and been involved with and traveled all over the place. And I had a lot to draw on. And there's a lot of really good young writers who basically write movies based on other movies. There's a whole kind of cottage industry of that. And as much as I love Tarantino, a lot of his stuff is kind of like his whole frame of reference is movies. You know, I, I'm not sure he even... I, I picture him kind of living in a screening room. You know, his world is movies. They they say, write what you know. That's a, a saying that everybody kind of kicks around. How how true is that for you? Well, that's really interesting. You can't escape writing what you know, but that doesn't mean you can't explore other worlds. I think it's, again, for me, it's about it's about people. It's about behavior. But that doesn't mean I can't write a story about... I mean, I've never been a cop, but I've written stories about cops. I've never... You know, I've never shot anybody that I've written, but I've written characters that have shot people. I mean, I've, I just try to get into that headspace. It's just like you guys when, when you when you act. I'm sure you have to find some aspect of a person, uh, a behavior that's relatable. Um, and as long as you can do that, you can write about anything. But it has to have a core of truth to it. And for me, that's kind of uh, that's really behavior. I think. Do you feel like this? industry i mean it sounds like from the from from your your story that it that it kind of chose you but would you say that it that it chose you or would you say that you reached out and chose it my my first in- instinct is to say that i chose it because i don't really think the industry cared whether i existed or not in a way i mean movies to me are magic and they've always been magic so in that sense maybe it was kind of not destined, but maybe it was kind of um, somehow fated that I would end up doing that someday because it's just it's just logical that you, if you have a, a lifetime love that eventually you'll get around to it. I mean, hopefully if you're open to it, you know. Mm. And uh, I've always been tried to be open to change and to following my heart. And that's kind of where my heart took me. I mean, people thought I was nuts when I kind of veered away from my painting career because I got to be fairly successful at it. And I got to a point where a lot of people really wished they could get. And then I kind of like just, I let it slide away. And I know that a lot of people were really scratching their heads over that. But to me, it made sense because I didn't love it anymore. If you could take everything you've learned, and this doesn't have to be necessarily in the entertainment industry. This could be in your painting, in your life. Uh, if you could take everything you've learned and boil it down to one sort of nugget of advice that you would give to someone else that has really sort of, whether it's kept the fire alive in you or it's something that you learned that is sort of an indispensable piece of the way you live your life, what would that nugget be? Um, I think it's kind of a corollary to what I just said about following your heart, which is that whatever you do, you have to love the doing of it. You have to love the process of it. Because if you, if you don't, it's it's going to be torture for you to do it. It's going to be just like a nine-to-five job or whatever that you just go through the motions. You know, you get up, you kind of dread putting on your socks and shoes in the morning. And I never wanted to live that kind of life. You know, I never fit in that whole nine-to-five kind of culture. I managed after quite a while to find something that I loved to do, which was painting. As long as I loved setting up my easel and slapping paint around, I continued to do that. And, you know, I found writing eventually. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't just like 
one thing stopped and the other started. There was kind of there was a couple of rough years with a lot of you know self doubt, self loathing, blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff. As I made that kind of transition, but I have an, an ability once I kind of start doing something to really focus on it and really because I love to do it. I mean, I really do. I can't wait to sit down in front of my computer and open up Final Draft. And so I, that's my advice. If you don't love what you're doing, find that thing that you love and just try a bunch of stuff until you find it. That's the only way to do it. And if you do find it, then um, do it and, and see where it takes you. I mean, not everybody is cut out for the things that they're good at, I mean, that they that they love to do. You know, not some guy um, just gave a, a, a speech at a high school graduation. I don't know if you guys read about it, but he basically told people that they are not all unique and beautiful snowflakes, you know. He said the world cannot support everyone being an artist. So not everyone is, is cut out to be an artist. But if you think you are, if you love to do it, you've got to follow it. And it doesn't really matter where it takes you or how successful you are. If you love to do it, you've got to find a way to do it, whether it's painting, acting, writing, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure you guys, I mean, if you can't get a movie, you find somebody who's doing a short film, you do a play, you do whatever. You've, if you've got to do it, you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the real joy of it for me is finding that thing that you love to do and then finding a way to do it. Is there one last question before we let you go? Is there a, a book or a course or one piece of uh, one resource that, that you recommend more than any other that people who might be interested in getting into screenwriting can check out? My, my main advice to, to anyone who wants to be a screenwriter is just to get your hands on screenplays of movies that you love, the kinds of movies that you want to write, and then just read them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty readily available online and um, and even through bookstores. So it's kind of through osmosis, absorb what works and what doesn't. Yeah, it's like, um, I, again, to go back to painting, the way you learn how to paint is, first of all, by doing it, and second of all, by studying great painting. Mm-hmm. So you study a great movie, you get the blueprint for it, which is the script, you study that, you compare it to the finished product, you know, then you do it all over again, and then you write, you know, you just uh, do it until you get it. Cool, cool. Uh, where can people find out more about you? Um, I mean, I'm sure you I don't want people to know you, about yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> if that is your real yeah. name, yes, Mr. Ulrich. That's why yeah. I'm a writer. Um, yeah. I mean, um, do, you have, do you have a, a website or a... Um, um, I guess I guess writers don't really have websites, do they? Well, some of them do. It uh, you know, there's really no point in, yeah. <laughs> in looking for me. I mean, I have uh, I have a couple of n- new movies that are coming out. Uh, they're both in post right now that I'm kind cool. of excited about, and have a couple more. Like I said, we have directors attached to various projects, and um, so some know, somebody just searches you on IMDb, they'll see a whole list of they'll see some stuff, stuff. yeah to. not a bunch of stuff in development but um not all that stuff uh is is on is, there yet but updated, um, yeah yeah so uh yeah i i am trying to stay kind of anonymous <laughs> it, it, so far it hasn't been a problem so, you know. <laughs> says the guy who's getting interviewed right now <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool well thank you for uh for coming over here and, and uh chatting with us Steve. Oh, this has been awesome my pleasure it was fun Hey guys, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly enjoyed it. Um, I thought there was some amazing, amazing gems in there. 
Um, you know, like I said before, that's living your life as an artist and, and, um, you know, I, I love that he reminded us all that it's, that mm-hmm. it's hard work, you know, yeah. cause, uh, cause it is, it's, it's, it's not easy. And, um, you know, do what you love. We've had a couple of people come on the podcast and say that, but it's always good to be reminded. Yeah. 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 Chris Gullibo talks about that a lot. I know that, uh, that, um, Ben's a big fan of his, Ben Whitehair's a big fan of his, but he talks about like, you know, you can, when you create your own work, you can create something you love to do, or you can create another job for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, do you want to create a job for yourself to go to, or do you want to do something that you love? And there's a distinction there, you know? Absolutely. Cool. So good Absolutely. stuff. So, so cool of him to come out and, and, uh, chat with us. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I blew my wad on my pick of the week, bro. So <laughs> what's your pick of the week? Uh, you know, it's, it's in that same vein. It's in that same vein. It's so interesting the way, the way the world works sometimes, man, because like before, cause Ben had approached me about that course, the MITT, uh, back in like March, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I had a lot of questions about it and, and, uh, I didn't end up doing it, but it kind of kickstarted this like, oh, I should go revisit some of these books, you know, that I've read or that I'm reading about this kind of stuff. And then you did the course and I've kind of been getting more into it. Now it's like this weird, like zeitgeist that's contained within like five or six of us where we're all kind of like on that plane, you know, we're all kind of in that, that state of mind. It feels good to have all your friends, you know, uh, playing to win too. You You have to, man. You'll hold each other up instead of the Mexican crab analogy. Everybody's. Well, they, they say that you are the sum of the five people that you spend the most time with. Hmm. And so, and I think that's very true. I mean, look at your income. It, It is without a doubt the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. Um, and so it's like when one person in your group starts to be successful, the, the, the tendency is to be like, what's going on? Like you, that's not how we operate. Like get back here, you know, the crab thing. But if you think of it instead, like all boats rise. Yeah. That's Ben quoted that quote the other day. All boats rise with the tide. Yeah. All boats rise. Just be like, wow, well he's stepping up his game. Let's, let's all kind of step up and match this. Like use it as inspiration, almost as like a competition in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, that's a way better way to look at things, you know? Anyway, all that is to say that my pick of the week is uh, seven habits of highly effective people. Boom. I finally got around to reading that. uh, uh, Actually, it was like a month or two ago now. That book is, is just a game changer. It really is. It's mostly about how you communicate with people, how you work with people Mm. and how to really kind of like polish your people skills uh, in a way that, that you get a lot out of the interaction and they do as well. And then kind of as an offshoot to that, a book I just finished last night called What We Say Matters, which is kind of like a a micro version of micro, slightly more yoga ish, spiritual version of seven habits, finally effective people, but they're both awesome books. Um, so why don't I just make it a double pick of the week? <laughs> Seven Habits and What We Say Matters. Really, Boom. really good stuff. So I guess that does it for uh, episode 71. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked a lot in the beginning, and that was a full interview with Steve. So let's wrap her up. Crush it. Uh, thank you for listening, guys. Lots of different ways that you can support the podcast uh, if you like what you heard. Um, you can, of course, uh, let us know what you think by sending us an email at insideactingpodcast.com. You can also give us a call, 213-222-8677, which just happens to be 213-2-actors. You can leave us a voicemail, and we'll do our best to feature it and respond to it on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, we're, we're all on, over social media. We're all over social media. Twitter.com slash insideacting, Facebook.com slash insideacting, and, of course, we're on Twitter uh, and Facebook individually as well. You can find us find us there uh you can hop over to actorrated.com 
give us a nice review on there if you like what you hear. Or on iTunes, of course. We definitely appreciate the iTunes reviews uh, if you guys like what you hear. And if you really get something out of this and you want to actually give back a little bit, uh, the way to do that is to donate to the podcast. And you can find the uh, button to do that on our website at insideactingpodcast.com. That's right. One lump sum if you'd like, uh, or you can do a, a recurring monthly donation. We appreciate both, and all of that money goes directly back into making this podcast more awesomer for, yes. uh, for everybody. <laughs> awesomer. So uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, that's all she wrote, man. Episode yeah. 71. I'm Trevor Algott. I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime... Don't be a crab.